Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. We are in our discussion on the unlikely heroes of the Bible, and those are some of the names you may know or some of the names you may not know. And the focus isn't on them so much as it's really on how God is working through them, and we find encouragement from that. And this morning, we're going to look at the gentleman by the name of Barnabas, who is actually known. He was renamed because he was such an encouraging man in the lives of those he interacted with. Maybe I can just, um, for a moment, Um, just encourage you as a congregation. Uh, Kim and I were supposed to have another obligation last Sunday, a a dedication of one of our grandchildren, so we were going to be away. Last minute, one of the kids got ill, and so we couldn't go. And so we came in and didn't sit in our normal position, right? We sat out there with you all, right? And I'm telling you, it was, it was one of my favorite experiences ever, maybe because I, I don't know, because I wasn't preaching or I was listening, right? But it wasn't that that made it my favorite. It's the fact that I was hearing how you all interacted, how you uh, worshiped, how you lifted your voices with Meredith, how you interacted with Justin while he was preaching, how you laughed at his jokes, even if they weren't funny. Like, <laughs> It was great. It was great. It was great to just sit there. And I thought, man, I'm just going to start moving around like, and kind of sitting in different places of the sanctuary just to experience what you all experience, right? And I remember telling Kim, like, even when Jason and Randy were sharing and they were kind of times forgetting some things, it was just so real to me. And so for you as a congregation, I don't think you may know the impact you're having when guests sit down around you. It's not just what goes on up here. It actually is what's going on out there. And so if there's a guest sitting next to you or someone who's visiting, man, make them feel welcome, engage with them, because even just being in your midst, out there about six rows deep, um, is, there's, there's just tremendous opportunity for you to encourage those who are around you. Well, with that as a kind of a note of encouragement to get started, will you stand with me for the reading of the text this morning? And we are in Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, and I'm going to pick up the reading where the church is starting to share with one another, but I want you to see this is our first introduction to the man called Barnabas. Acts chapter 4, picking up the reading at verse 32. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. That means they shared. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, A Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Thank you for your respect for the word. You may be seated. And as you're seating, getting seated there, just let me remind you of a a simple eight or nine words spoken by Johann Wolfgang van Gogh, who was a German philosopher and poet and playwright back in the 1700s. I love this statement. Correction does much encouragement does more, okay? Um, Maybe to speak to parents for a second, your correction of your children is vitally important in their training, but encouragement does even more than your correction. So just know that. If you're a teacher and you're tired of kids not listening in class, your correction does much, okay? But your encouragement does more. And so we come to this individual by the name of Barnabas, and we learn from him how it is we ought to encourage. I love the way Warren Wiersbe talks about him. He says, there is much we do not know about Joseph Barnabas, but this we do know. He was a spirit-led man who was an encouragement. Not every believer can be like Peter and John, but we can all be like Barnabas and have a ministry of encouragement. Okay? 
And that applies to all of us, those who are typically optimistic and those who maybe see the glass half empty. You still have a glass that's got something in it, all right? So look for opportunities to encourage others. Now, these are the lessons we're going to learn from Barnabas. Here we go. So be an encourager, and he's going to show us that in four ways. Encouragers make sacrifices. Encouragers take risk. Encouragers use words, and encouragers may be prone, and that's a little bit of a negative or a warning at the end of our Barnabas discussion this morning. Make sacrifices, take risks, use words. Let's talk about that first one. They make sacrifices for others. Encouragers make sacrifices for others. And you're going to see this because it's not just about encouraging with our words, that's part of it. But some people make sacrifices to encourage someone else with maybe a gift or something that may be totally anonymous. Maybe they they just encourage other people to encourage. Whatever it might be, they make sacrifices. Sometimes they're seen and sometimes they're not seen. Here we find it in our text again, the text that we just read, that Joseph, who was called Barnabas, that is the son of encouragement, Um, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, just for a moment, we don't know how he came up with this field. Um, We assume it's uh, maybe on the island of Cyprus, which is out in the Mediterranean. We don't know how he came up with this field because Levites in the Old Testament weren't supposed to own land, right? But somehow he had this field and he saw the need to give it. And immediately I understand some things about his sacrifice. But by the way, this is the first time he's mentioned. Like, just think about this. When someone mentions you for the first time, is this the first thing they say about you? If if someone says, hey, do you know so-and-so? And And they say, oh, yeah, I know that person. Man, that person's such an encouragement. Or uh, if they say, hey, do you know so-and-so? And and the person says, yeah, I know that person. Wow, you know, that person's such a giver. Just think about this is how Joseph, our Barnabas, is known. In fact, I was thinking about some of his sacrifices. If he had land that would have provided security, he was willing to sacrifice some of his security. If he had land that would have provided some degree of comfortability, like towards the end of his life, he could have moved out. An island in the Mediterranean is a nice place to probably have some property. He could have moved out, but he sold it. There's something else in the text. I want you to see it. He sold the field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet, which means he also sacrificed his authority, right? He didn't say to the apostles, listen, I want the money to go here, here, and here. This is important. There's sacrifice throughout all of what Barnabas does here. Let me show you some other parts of Barnabas' life. Here's the second idea. Encouragers take risk for others. They not only make sacrifices for others, but they also take risk for others. And Barnabas communicates this in such an amazing, amazing way. In fact, I'll show you that, but just know this, that when you think of Barnabas in the New Testament, you think of him usually in conjunction with the apostle Paul, okay? Yet he is the one who actually has to work to convince everybody else that Paul can be trusted. Now, for just a moment, take your Bibles and jump over with me to the book of Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, you're introduced to uh, Paul's life. Um, He is first known as Saul, not to be confused with King Saul, who's in the Old Testament. But Paul's name was first Saul, but his name was changed later to Paul, okay? So when you see it in Acts chapter 9, we see that that passage begins with, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that so that if he found any belonging to the way, those are Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem, okay? This was before Paul met Jesus, right? So before he met Jesus, man, he's after everybody who even smells like a Christian. He goes, he binds them, he approves of their death. Okay. This is who he is. Just for a moment, understand how uncomfortable you might be as a Christian if the only thing you knew about this guy was that he had letters and approval and authority to tie you up and drag you back to Jerusalem to potentially be executed. Okay, that, that's serious, right? So on the Damascus Road, um, all of a sudden, Jesus meets him directly, even though Christ has already been, already been crucified, buried, and rose again, and he's in heaven at this stage. He speaks to him on, on the Damascus Road, and he just grabs his attention, and there 
Saul is face down on the ground, unable to see because of the bright light. And Jesus meets him. Okay. Now, all of that's cool, but what's really troubling is that nobody else really knows that's what happened. And so the first person that God sends to him is a man by the name of Ananias, who, who is praying one morning, and the Lord says to him, hey, um, there's a guy by the name of Saul who is at such and such a house, and I want you to go to that house because he, I told him he would be hearing from you. Right? Now, for just a moment, you're a Christian, and you're about to go to the guy who's responsible for your execution. Okay? And so it's no wonder that Ananias kind of argues with God for a little bit there. Okay? And he says, Lord, you do know that this is the guy who breathes out threats and kills Christians. And God says, yes, and I want you to go to him. And so Ananias goes, but he's not the only one who goes. Suddenly, Ananias confirms and baptizes Paul, and we understand that Paul is a follower of Jesus, and so that kind of, that's just got to spread like crazy. And it's spreading like crazy, but not everybody believes it. There's kind of a trust-suspicion thing going on, and I want you to see who shows up. Here it is, Acts chapter 9, verse 24. And when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, that is Saul, because now all of a sudden the Jews are against him because they realize he's not speaking for them, he's speaking for Christ. But their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. But you got to know right now, who wants him? because this is the guy who was responsible for executions. So you wouldn't want him, you wouldn't trust him. In fact, the text goes on to say, and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Makes perfect sense, he's an undercover guy. You'd think he's just there as an undercover man. I once asked my friend who pastors in Ukraine, when the communist wall came down, I said, talk to me about what a conversion looks like in Ukraine or in Russia. He said, here's what happens. They say, if you wanna become a Christian, come down front now and a person would come down front. Now, just imagine this momentarily, okay? Let me pick on somebody real quick. Justin, come up here real quick, okay? So imagine I offer the opportunity to be converted, and Justin comes down, and he says, I want to be a Christian. I want to be a Christian. Okay, and this is what I do if I'm in Russia or Ukraine. I turn him around. I say, here's the congregation. Justin, pray. Pray? Yeah, that's what you would have to do. Pray right there in front of everybody. Just ask the Lord into your heart. You do it now. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do it now because I know you're already a Christian. But, but the point is this. I just want you to see when we're a little apprehensive of speaking for Jesus, that's how they do it in those other parts of the world. Okay? And the reason they do it that way is because there might be a good chance, Scott, come up here real quick, okay? that it's not just this guy coming who's about to pray, but it's this guy coming who says he's interested in the church, but he's really a KJB agent. Okay? Now, just for a moment, understand that. And he's looking out here for everybody that's here, okay? And some of you are getting real uncomfortable right now, okay? What I want you to see is that when I say pray, and he prays, okay, everybody says amen, and when I say pray, this guy says, can't do it, can't do it, but I'm getting this guy, right? And here's the point. Great, you can sit back down, okay? Don't take names or anything, all right? Here's what I want you to see. This is the guy that when he walks, into their, he walks into their church gathering, their small group gathering, they're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. We don't know who that guy is. Okay? Well, we know who he is, and we know who he claims he is, but we're not sure that's who he is. Okay? And so I asked my friend, why do they pray like that? And he said, they pray that way because they want to sort out the KJB agents. They don't want to end up uh, getting all of the Christians executed back when the Iron Curtain was there. Look at verse 27. But Barnabas took him, that is Paul, and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and now at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Well, that, remember how I said encouragers take risk on others. If you're going to be an encouragement to others, there's always going to be some degree of vulnerability. If you're saying, well, I can't, I don't really want to encourage them because I'm not sure what's actually going to happen with them, um, you're never going to encourage someone. Barnabas does that level of encouragement, but that's not the only encouragement he does. Watch this. 
When Paul and Barnabas got together, the church in Antioch said, hey, listen, why don't you guys go out on a missionary journey? And they do. And they leave Antioch up there in northern Syria. And they travel back out to the island of Cyprus. Now, he was from Cyprus, so Barnabas probably knew some people there and gets a chance to introduce them. And they pick up a young disciple by the name of John Mark. Now, if that name's familiar to you, it should be because his John is, is his Hebrew name, but Mark is his Roman name. And so his, we know him as John Mark. We also know him as the one who wrote the gospel of, say it with me, Mark. Yeah, not the gospel of John. Okay, John did that. But John Mark wrote the gospel of Mark. He's a young man, and he speaks in that gospel of literally being so frightened that when Jesus was taken away, he runs from the situation, even dropping his robe and not coming back for it, right? Because he was frightened. It's not the only time he's frightened. In this first missionary journey, uh, Paul and Barnabas pick him up, and he's a young man, and he probably says, we can almost picture the conversation between Barnabas and Paul. Hey, listen, um, we want to see a younger generation have an impact too. So, Paul, while we go out, let's pick this guy up. The only thing is, by the time they get to their second stop up there at Perga, John Mark changes his mind, and he says, I'm coming back to Jerusalem. Okay. Now, just for a moment, understand what's about to happen. When you read... Uh, through the rest of that part of the story in Acts, you will discover that what happens next is that Paul goes to the next city and he is stoned, literally beaten to the point where they think he's dead and they leave him in the road. Okay. So, so Paul totally gets the fact that it's going to cost something. It's not just that they went on a journey and they had fun and they ran children's camps or something. No, they potentially could be killed. And he walks back into the city and continues to preach. So Paul understands commitment, but John Mark bailed two cities ago before Paul's life is ever tested like that. And that's why when you come to Acts chapter 15 and they come back from that journey and they're ready to go out on a second journey, and Barnabas talks to Paul and he says, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And they went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, just for a moment, grab this. You do understand, right? that Barnabas was the one who encouraged Paul and took a risk on him. And now Paul is unwilling to take a risk on Mark, so you can understand why there's a sharp disagreement. Maybe that disagreement kind of sounded like this. Hey, Paul, I want to take Mark. Um, you know, I still got some bruises from when they stoned me and Mark wasn't there. Okay. Yeah, I know. I think he's going to bail on us again. Hey, Paul, you do understand I took a risk on you, okay. and I think I'm going to take a risk on Mark. Well, then I'm not going with you. Okay. Now, just, just picture, this separation is so strong that we don't see them restored late until much later, Paul and Barnabas, and they go completely different ways. And yet, think about this for a moment. If, if I were to ask... Um, even somebody who's an unbeliever who just knows a little bit about the Bible, is there a book in the Bible by the name of Mark? They would probably say, yeah, I think there is a book by the name of Mark. And if I were to ask them, have you ever heard of Barnabas? They'd say, not really. Okay. Did you know Barnabas' name is used 30 times in the New Testament, 25 times in the book of Acts? He, he's a critical player, and yet people don't really know much about him. But we know that Mark, the young man that he took a risk on, actually recorded for us the gospel of Mark. Just think about this for a second. When you take a risk on someone as an encourager, you don't know what the outcome will be. It might be tragic. It, it, it might not work. But again, I just want to remind you, the encourager says, um, I'm going to try to get involved here, even if it doesn't work. I'm not going to start with suspicion. I'm going to start with believing that I see potential and that maybe God would have me invest. And that's how Barnabas was, whether it's Paul or whether it's Mark. In fact, um, the Life Application Bible adds this great note. 
Barnabas played a key role in Mark's life. He stood beside the young man, despite his failure, giving him patient encouragement. Mark challenges us to learn from our mistakes and appreciate the patience of others. Is there a Barnabas in your life you need to thank for his or her encouragement to you? Hold that question. We'll be back. Number three, encouragers use words that strengthen others. Encouragers use words that strengthen others. Barnabas is such a cool example of this, but just let me talk about the word encourage. Um, the Bible uses various Greek words to sometimes, and they're translated by the same English word. And that's what we see with this word encourage. It's various Greek words. Parakaleo is one of them, to urge, implore, exhort. Encouragement or comfort is another one. Um, you can see that the idea of console or encourage or cheerful, encourage together, build, strengthen up. All of those Greek words come together and are translated in our Bibles as the word encourage or possibly the word exhorted. Now, in Acts chapter 11, we see again Barnabas show up, and there he is engaged, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Okay, so there's, a, there's a, like a world, a totally lo, small location evangelism taking place. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas up to Antioch, say, hey, Barnabas, go on up there and check out what's going on. We hear those revivals happening there. And when he came and saw the grace of God, notice this. Here is the encourager. He is an objective voice from the outside. He isn't there hypercritical. He isn't saying, uh, they don't worship the same way we do in Jerusalem. Like, I'm not sure we should mess with them. I, I, I'm really concerned about something that's happening with the leadership there. None of that's there. Okay. He is an objective voice as an encourager. He sees the grace of God working there, and he was glad. He didn't put any qualifiers on his gladness. He didn't say, uh, you got some things to work on. He's just glad. And he exhorted them. That's the word, encouraged. He encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So let me just talk about the value of a shared encouraging word, okay? This is just kind of a subnote here. A value of a shared encouraging word. Now, notice shared is capitalized because sometimes we have encouraging intentions that we don't necessarily follow through on. A thought comes through your head and you think, oh, man, I, I really appreciate what that person did, but you don't do anything about it. If it isn't shared like Barnabas shared and exhorted them, then it is of no value to the other person who you mean encourage. Here's the first one. Um, sh a shared encouraging wor word will embolden us to walk by faith. It will embolden us to walk by faith. And let me just unpack that for you in the text. Look at it. He exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord. He exhorted them to remain faithful. Now, just stay, stay with me here in this for just a second, okay? He, he, by talking to them, undoubtedly, and there was difficulties coming for them, pointed back to the past and how God had been faithful so that they too could be faithful. Every decision that we have to make we make with a limited knowledge of the future, virtually no knowledge of the future. They're good guesses at best. And when we struggle in that, it's going to be easy for us to say, I get discouraged. And an encourager comes along and says, listen, let's review what God did in your past. And so we can know what he will be faithful for in the future to remain faithful because God is faithful. Here's the other thing. Encouraging words remind us that the unseen work matters. This is so important. Encouraging words a shared encouraging word will remind us that the unseen work matters. One of the reasons that we should encourage others is because while they're laboring and doing something faithfully, maybe nobody is telling them that. Maybe you're the only one. Maybe you're the only one. Um, in fact, just let me show you that in the text to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Now, for just a moment, um, Scott gave you your history lesson this morning, okay? But I need to give you a, a cool Greek grammar lesson because you're going to love this, right? You know Greek even though you don't know you know Greek, right? So let me show you how we unpack this phrase. This steadfast purpose, steadfast translates the word cardia, which sounds like, say it with me, cardiac. That's exactly right. Now, the Bible uses that word heart. Sometimes it speaks of our physical 
heart. Sometimes it's speaking of the inner part of us that is responsible for thinking, for, for, for willful choices, for the emotions. All of that is wrapped up in the idea of the decision-making center of, the, of, your, of who you are as your heart. This is something internal. I want you to see that. But look at the next word, prothese. Pro means before, and thesis, mean thesis, uh, you can hear theology in it, the study of God. This is your heart revealed before God. This is something that is internal that nobody else sees. Now, this is why this is so important. Imagine that there is someone who impacted you, and for the longest time, they've just been doing that work quietly, quietly, nobody knows. You have no idea how discouraged they might be with that work. But when you step in and you remind them that what they're doing internally, how they're being motivated internally matters, it made a difference. Suddenly, it encourages them to keep answering the Lord when the Lord's laying stuff on their heart to do. The inside matters. That's what the, the parts that are not seen matter. If someone encourages you, you have no idea that when you bring in a word of encouragement to them, how that's helping. This reminds us that the unseen work matters. Here's the third idea. It reassures us that we're not alone in difficulty. It reassures us that we're not alone in difficulty. Now, I've been pastor long enough that uh, sometimes when I get a letter from someone in our congregation, it isn't positive. And uh, sometimes when I've gotten, a number of years ago, when I was getting some of those letters on a fairly regular basis, okay, I, I would sometimes have a little but a bit of, you know, post-traumatic stress stuff going on when I'd pick up the letter, okay? i think, do I really want to read this? Do I want to open it? Okay. And then I'd open it, and then it would simply be a word of encouragement, okay? And two things would happen. I, I would kind of like, whew, okay, okay. And then I would realize that God had laid on that person's heart to write me a letter because God knew I was going through a difficulty and I needed that encouragement. Are you with me there? When God lays on your heart to encourage someone, I just want to tell you, you you may be the voice of God to them in that. They may be going through a difficulty, and when they all of a sudden get your letter of encouragement, it's like, God knows, God cares, God's interested in what I'm doing because he laid on somebody's heart to generate for me this word of encouragement. It reassures us that we're not alone in the difficulty. And I love that because look how this shows up in Acts chapter 14. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas, there's our guy again, to Derbe. And look what they do. When they preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, watch this, that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul understood, listen, I was stoned, I was left for dead, but you know what? That doesn't matter because that's part of the process of entering the kingdom of God. If God calls for me to suffer, then I suffer, Paul says. Maybe another way of saying it is this, a word of encouragement during a failure is worth more than an hour of praise during a success, okay? Everybody praises people when they're successful. Who comes to talk to them when they might have failed at something? And that is precisely the value of a shared, encouraging word. There's one more, and here it is. Encouraging words, the value of a shared encouraging words is that it builds us up when daily erosion tears down. There is something about living in our world that is changing rapidly, that it can be filled with negativity. There's something about going to social media and feeling all the angst and anger that's outraged that's running through that, that over time begins to tear us down. And watch how the word encouragement is used by Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Build one another up. It's this, it's this idea of, of, of reworking a physical structure, of, of, of rebuilding it, of putting the stones back in place because the foundation is starting to wipe out. It's a building term, right? Build one another up because erosion is happening in the world in which you live. 
And then you know, notice that we added the word build us up daily because he goes on to say, just as you are doing. He doesn't say get started. He says you're already doing it, but keep doing it. Use your words of encouragement to build one another up. Okay. Now, let me go back to this question I asked you earlier. We're almost done, but let me take you back to this question real quickly. Here it is. Remember the Life Application Bible said, is there a Barnabas in your life you need to thank for his or her encouragement to you? Now, if you're young here, I'm not looking for somebody named Barnabas, okay? I'm looking for someone who's been a Barnabas to you, who's encouraged you, okay? Now, just for a moment, I'm going to count to 10 quietly, and I'm not going to talk I want you to let the Spirit of God bring to your mind the name of someone who at some stage in your life impacted you in a positive way, okay? Just for a moment, and you try to come up with that name. Okay, time's up. How many of you have a name? Okay, how many of you have a name? Oh, keep your hands up, keep your hands up, okay? Okay, the rest of you need to keep thinking, okay? Don't, don't put your hand down yet, okay? You need to keep thinking who that name would be. be. As you drop your hands down, I want you to reach into the hymnal rack in front of you and pull out that card that's there. Do you see that? Okay. So rather than be thankful with, say, we intend to be thankful, we're actually going to be thankful like right now. So you say, I'm not a writer or I don't like the card, okay? Then you have a right now to text them, okay? You te if you don't like to write, okay, you text them a word of how they impacted you. You say thank you to the Barnabases in your life, and by doing that, you're practicing encouragement. You say, well, I don't know how to actually communicate to them. I don't know what I'm going to say. Well, look at this again. They embolden us to walk in our faith. They remind the unseen work matters. Tell them that while others may not have noticed it, you noticed it, right? Reassure them that they're not alone in the difficulty, just letting them know, listen, God laid on my heart your name this morning for some reason, and find a way to build them up with the words used. And remember, I told you there's one final thing we got to look at in Barnabas's life, and uh, that is a potential negativity that can flow out of an encourager, and we find that in the scriptures as well. And here it is. Um, the final idea comes with this thought encouragers may be prone to compromise for others. Now, notice that an encourager is looking at others. They're looking to sacrifice for others. They're looking to take risk for others. They're looking to strengthen others. But at the end of the book, at the beginning of the book of Galatians, we see a moment of compromise in Barnabas's life. And just let me point that out to you real quickly. Here it is. Um, by the way, I just need a, a little bit of history here for 60 seconds. Um, Christianity kind of exploded out of a Jewish group of people. And so there were a whole slew of Jewish people who said, listen, even if you want to be Christians and follow Christ, that's okay, but you got to do it with the Jewish garb on. You have to do all the other things that were Jewish. Right? And what Paul argued strongly for was, no, we don't work our way to salvation. Jesus came, died on the cross, so this is a fully a gift of grace. We simply place our faith in Christ for what he did. And this group of Jewish people said, no, 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 no. If they're going to be Christians, if they're going to grow as Christians, whatever they're going to do, they got to be Jewish too, okay? That's a very simple explanation of it. But here it is. When Cephas, that is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Why? For before certain men came from James, James had a group of guys around him that were those Judaizers. He was eating with the Gentiles. That is, he literally was eating with those who were not Jewish. He wasn't separated, separated from them. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. That's that group of Jewish people. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. Now, just for a moment, understand this. They're all sitting at a meal together. In walks the Jewish people. They all step away from the table just like that, okay? As if to say, uh, we really weren't eating with them. We, we don't know what you saw there, okay? But that's not what we were doing, okay? And because Peter steps away, look, even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Even Barnabas stepped away from the table, as opposed to proclaiming the grace of God the way that Paul had proclaimed it. 
And that's why Paul says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, I walked in and said, hey, listen, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews, okay? Paul always gets right to the point, except in a few of the letters he writes, okay? He gets right to the point here, and he says, listen, um, if you, being a Jew, live like a Gentile, you're faking it, Peter. You're faking it. And Barnabas, you were faking it too. And and it just occurred to me in that process that when we're always thinking of others, sometimes we may be prone to compromise, not in a positive way, but in a negative way, what is truth, because we don't want others to feel uncomfortable. You can't do that either, okay? You can't do that either. And that's why God has placed in the church those who are incredibly encouraging and those who also are encouraging but are more truth-tellers in it. It's because our tendency as an encourager might be to say, I'll sacrifice, I'll take risk, I'll just use my words to build up, build up, build up. And if they're doing things that are wrong, i probably kind of step away, right? And I just want to remind you, if there is one weakness in Barnabas' life, this is the only spot I can find it in the Scriptures, okay? Even he was led astray to follow that hypocrisy, as if to say, I won't stand for the grace of God, but I'll step away for the sake of impressing those who just walked in the room. Don't go there with your expression of encouragement. Here's your charge this morning. Your charge is simply this. Don't just do the encouragement today. We had you do it not so that you would do it once a year when we fill out a card in church, okay? but so that you would understand in about three or four minutes, you could send a text, you could write a card, you could do whatever you needed to do. And one final thing, when you filled out that card, don't let it fall out of your Bible next week in church, okay? It was meant to give to them and for you to continue doing the work of encouragement. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mulligan Hill.